developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast still subsisting on basic rations and trying to build a hut before nightfall. Today we return to video games, looking at the genre of resource management games, including survival crafting games, colony simulators, real-time strategy games, and more. This is Mark Linsenmeyer. I strongly prefer playing God over being stuck in a first-person perspective poison swamp. This is Al Baker speaking from the UK, currently at 1,600 hours in RimWorld, having never actually finished a game. This is Tyler Hislop uh, in Frederick, Maryland. I would be outside punching this tree with my fist since I don't have enough wood to make an axe. Yeah, returning, very special guest. Hi, I'm Jamie Madigan from psychologyofgames.com where I look at the intersection of psychology and games and I'm still trying to automate coal production in Factorio. All right, this is the, the world's most occasional uh, video game podcast. <laughs> it has been the greater part of a year. Since we did any video game coverage, and it was with this exact group, yes, that we last talked about was Hades, Hades, Hades and roguelikes, and the roguelikes. I don't remember which of those was more recent, but they were both last year. I have known about this. I think I floated this by all of you for a good six months because, unlike the roguelikes, which it was very easy to just go in and try a bunch of things, these require serious commitment almost entirely. Let's start. What are we even talking about? I identified this as a single genre. Tyler, you seem to think that, in fact, you're managing resources in every game and there's crafting in many kinds of games. And this was very ill-defined. Yeah, I mean, we, we run into this issue anytime we talk about genrefying games, especially. There's so many me- mechanics are between genres and being constantly iterated upon in different styles of games. But in particular, resource management games should have a component that is specifically to manage resources, how the player then utilizes those resources to carry through the game's progression. That's where it deviates significantly between games. Jamie, what is your background and love of these type of things? Yeah, these are the kinds of games that I'll pick up when I feel like just kind of falling deep into something. You know, it's like, all right, I need something that's going to eat up like a whole Saturday afternoon, or I've just got some time. So I don't, play all of them that come along and I actually don't like when crafting for example shows up in other types of games where it's kind of intrusive like whenever there was going to be an Elden Ring I was like oh man that stinks and turns out like you didn't really need to engage with it Al what's your you're the one who's who's most afraid of I think of twitchy games that are very stressful so I would think this would be your your bellywick anything that requires real-time responses in order to progress is just a, a non-starter for me in general this kind of game in particular, so 
probably the first game I got obsessed with when I was a kid was SimCity. I grew up, my kind of prime gaming days as a child was in the 90s. I was a big fan of Bullfrog games, so the original Theme Hospital, Dungeon Keeper, they were both very formative for me. And then one day, my dad bought me a copy of Civilization II, and there goes the next 10 to 15 years of my gaming life, more or less. So 4X games were an enormous part of my... So I was preferred 4X games. 4X meaning, help me out guys, exploration, exploitation, extraction. Is that the another X? And extermination. More than traditional RTSs, because when I was growing up, StarCraft was very big. That also required you to be quick, think quickly, have a stable internet connection. I always preferred... like Anything turn-based always really tickles me. Most of the games that I've really sunk a lot of hours into, really enjoyed, have been either 4X games or latterly management games. Those stemming from the theme hospital, Dungeon Keeper kind of vein. Rimworld I reference in the intro is probably my favorite current one, but there's a whole crop of new ones. Just kind of like Jamie said, they're the games that I reach for if I feel like I need to engage my brain in something non-constructive for an afternoon. I found them very meditative, very frustrating in a kind of healthy way. My favorite thing about them is you always go in wanting to create something perfect. And my favorite thing about this genre of games are the ways that they find to shatter your nice, naive dreams of perfection that you have going into them. And I do want to stress, in terms of listener expectations, like we did not require among the four of us, like we traded the names of the games that we had been familiar with. And I tried to watch a bunch of YouTube demos of things, but we're not assuming that any of you have played any of this thing and this might be just a why would people do this what kind of game is this what this might be an activity that some of our listeners here have not even considered maybe if they're just they don't play video games much at all or they only play you know wordle or conversely like are used to elden ring and the sort of more mainstream high action my restriction in this was just that my pc is not that great it doesn't have the best graphics card, so things that required too much processing that had a million things to keep track of, and were also trying to provide a like highly graphical first-person experience, like my computer just can't handle it. I have, since we last talked, I've gotten a, a PS5, but there are so many of these games that just do not work in a console setting, at least not well. Yeah, get a brand new video card and then go see how Civ 4 runs. One thing I like about a lot of these games is really good ones, especially really good old ones, will run on pretty much anything. So it's fairly fairly lightweight. I think Prison Architect or RimWorld will probably run on any business laptop you happen to have lying around. Some of the ones that I particularly like are pixel graphics. It's really about mm. getting as much information and data going through in simulation style as you can. The newer games that are trying to do colony sims with high-fidelity graphics with lots of characters on the screen, lots of things to simulate. Yeah, they're tougher to get to run. One of my favorites right now is called Icarus, but it's more of the open-world survivor craft, first-person-oriented, base building, things of that nature. Mark probably couldn't run that on anything more than low settings, so... But I do Is like that at least on console. Not yet. I don't know if it will be. It sh- those types of games, Valheim games like that would work pretty well on console. But if you're looking at the top down perspective, like the four X's maybe could because they're and they, they are on console because they're more like board games. Um, mm. But then the rim worlds, the Starcrafts, where you're controlling units. Um, I suppose rim world is actually on console now. I think there's some real-time strategy games on console, but they're not particularly well-rated. I don't know that I've tried one on there. Yeah, Starcraft came out for the 64. Uh, Starcraft 1, in between 
the original and the Brood War expansion. They released it for Nintendo 64, and it's terrible. You can only play it at <laughs> normal game speed. It runs at like five frames a second. It's insane that you could even play like that. But to iterate on StarCraft and kind of my origins, that's kind of where I started. Growing up playing SimCity, of course, on the NES, SimCity 2000 on the SNES and the PC, and then WarCraft and StarCraft. Those were really my first loves overall. StarCraft being real-time strategy, city builders. Again, the the hybridization of these mechanics. Uh, it's interesting. It's a city builder, but there's only like six kinds of buildings you can build. And they're sort of in order. So it's a simple, like you're not going to lose track of stuff. It's more because the point of building the buildings is to be able to create units and fight. Then there's a limited amount, like, you know, there's some, you can set up right, sort of tower defense mechanisms and things. But for the most part, it is just how quickly and efficiently can you do things, which is, you know, fundamental resource management. Sure. And the base building aspect of RTS, a lot of RTS, yeah, they're, they're part of the, the chess match where you place those buildings are important in terms of what sort of strategies you want to implement. And, you know, games like Civ have that element as well. But again, they're slightly different. It's just the way that the, the resources then are arrayed across the various domains and then the player either uses them. What's interesting about city builders, especially newer ones like city skylines, you're placing neighborhoods and stuff. And then like Al was talking about, the level of complexity seems to or chaos seems to encroach upon you as you get more and more expansive and you end up with traffic issues and all kinds of stuff that you you want to try to plan for at the outset. You find yourself battling with, you know, 10 hours in. Yeah, it is interesting how City Skylines manages to just become a traffic management game invariably after the first couple of hours, which, you know, having no education in the subject, I imagine is kind of like what town planning becomes after you've had a, any city up for more than 20 years. Jamie, did you start early with this with SimCity and stuff like that? Or Yeah, I played some of the early SimCity games, and that's probably one of the through lines for me throughout this is the city building. And I've always enjoyed the base building games more than other types of resource management or survival games with resource management elements. So I just like making this little garden of a thing grow and trying to figure out how to make that happen instead of just necessarily plopping down like, I want this building here and this building here. That's a lot of fun. And there don't seem to be as many of those types of games uh, around as there used to be. Things like people are experimenting with different stuff. And I actually played one game recently that bridges the this episode and the last one that we did on roguelikes because it is a roguelike base building game called Against the Storm. It's run-based, so you try to build up your little bases and go through, unlock different parts of, of this overworld map. But there's a big RNG element to it because you may only get what buildings you have access to is randomly determined. And you can sort of upgrade and you get to choose from four instead of three, but it's really is random. So you can't decide like, oh, I'm going to pursue this type of base or I'm going to pursue this path to victory where I'm going to build like a tavern and then a brewery and then da-da-da because you never get the brewery (laughs) option. So it's all about kind of trying to react to what you're given and then squeeze out the victory conditions from that. And I actually don't like that. I don't like not being able to pursue the path or the strategy that I want uh, just because I'm lucky enough to get the pieces that I want. I'd rather know what they are and then be able to build towards those and try out different combinations of things. So games in early access and it looks and sounds great and it plays really well. I'm just sort of not a fan of that fundamental design decision. How do you feel about RimWorld then, Jamie? Have you played that? Because that's 
That's probably my favorite, but a big element of that is that your plan doesn't survive first contact with the RNG. Do you have the same feelings there? Yeah, I played RimWorld. I didn't get really far into it. But RimWorld seemed to have more freedom than Against the Storm seemed to have for me. But yeah, it is like random in terms of like what will attack you or what sort of calamities will fall in your lap. If I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, we should say most of these have a, probably not against the storm, since it seems like that's the point, but uh, RimWorld and Oxygen Not Included is the one that I've been playing like crazy the past few weeks. You can do strictly a uh, sandbox mode. You know, I guess it's the same with Minecraft. I Minecraft is the one that, I've, you know, it's obviously the most popular thing related to this. And I've never spent a lot of time with it. Maybe it was just sort of one of those things like if my kids or if, you know, six-year-olds are super into it, and maybe I don't want, I don't know if, but I felt with some of these that I've been tricked into playing, you know, an alternate version of, of Minecraft. Well, Minecraft mm. is one of those where you can get the totality of those experiences in the game. You can play fully hardcore survival style where every encounter with a zombie could be the end of your character, or you could play strictly creative. I and mean, the level of granularity that you can dig down to literally in with the resources and the things that you can create, the, the flexibility and creativity. That's kind of what I enjoy about resource management games, which just being able to freely create things where the management of the resources is just a means to be creative in those terms. But I do like games like uh, Against the Storm that have some RNG and roguelike elements too. But I find myself spending, you know, hundreds of hours in the same world, fine tuning a thing that I built, you know, listening to a podcast. Today, I'm going to listen to this podcast and just chop trees down for two hours. That way I have. 9,000 stacks of wood, because when I want to make this huge wooden village that I made myself in Valheim, I can do that. It just kind of goes to show kind of what Mark put on the document. Like, is it, are we just generating work for ourselves to do in a simulated environment or a virtual environment? It's like, well, perhaps, but the freedom to then implement the resources to carry out a creative vision, I think was what really appeals to me about it. Yeah, I think you're totally spot on to put on my little psychologist hat. These kinds of games give us the freedom and the autonomy and a sense of progression in ways that we don't always get outside of games, like in our work or education or other spheres of life. I get that question a lot. It's like, why do people like to play these games that are basically modeled after work, like farming simulator or power wash simulator or any of those kinds of things? And I think a lot of the resource management games fall under that same question. And the answer is because they let us do things that are just inherently psychologically satisfying. You know, sense of progression, sense of meaningful choice, and a sense of being important to other people. And the sense of accomplishment, where some games will lead you in a... I mean, all games kind of try to lead you in a linear-like path toward a goal or a kind of desired outcome or at least a preferred outcome from the developers. But the freedom to say, I'm going to build a castle and then build it and then be done. And then you have this kind of thing that you can point to that you did as opposed to having just an achievement card that you completed this game and this was the score that you got. It's psychologically, obviously, there's a connection there too. Something I think is interesting about management games, base building games, maybe less true of the kind of survival Minecraft-y kind of things, is that the progression seems to work differently. So it's it's not just that it's non-linear, but your progression is rarely about like getting from this place to that place, or even building a structure or building a series of structures. It's about building systems. It's about building systems that work well together once you've constructed them all. And the particular kind of satisfaction that I always look for and really love in these kinds of games is just constructing a well-functioning version of whatever it is that I'm building. So a well-functioning city, a well-functioning colony, 
something that's resilient enough to take the disasters that the RNG befalls on it. And that's an interestingly different kind of satisfaction, I think, than the, okay, you have reached the, you've beaten the final boss kind of progression that you get in other kind of games. Yeah, I'm smiling right now because one of the other games that I played a lot of in this category is literally called Satisfactory, Mm -hmm. where it's a factory building game that has satisfaction like as part of its name and they know what they're doing there. It's satisfying to build these things that automate and work on their own and to solve very practical problems in the game. I was surprised. I played that for a few hours and I was surprised how deep and how complex that gets really quickly. I'm finding a lot of survival games, especially now, are starting to implement these logic gate systems and electrical systems that you can use to simulate and automate. And like Al was saying, that's interesting, being able to put something together and let the simulation run and step back and see where the yeah, uh, problem is. Yes, is that inevitably there will. And that's what makes the developers of these games creative and interesting, or at least that's what they're ostensibly trying to do is allow you to get something going. And then the conceit of the game is to either try to trip you up or have you build or progress toward a goal. But at the same time, having the RNG and the creative components as well. RimWorld, especially I did, I've done about 800 hours of RimWorld. I love that game, uh, but it's, it's not. Minecraft, which is interesting. The do scratch similar itches, though, the base building aspect, block by block. Yeah, I think it's just real satisfying to puzzle out how those systems work together and, and to be surprised by, oh, this is more efficient when I put this next to that, or these two things can synchronize, or this is a trade-off I have to make. It's a lot about problem solving, and solving a problem and having that aha kind of moment is very satisfying. And I wonder how much, if you're playing a puzzle game and you just look at a walkthrough on the web, like that would seem pretty cheesy. But with these kind of things, it seems necessary, like for a lot of these to to have the wiki next to you or have look at playthroughs by experience or just so with oxygen not included, people do these videos that they turn on like debug mode. So you're not even seeing how you would do it. They're just teaching you principles of like, here are six kinds of gases that I've put here. And you can see this one has this conductivity of heat and, you know, all the different properties of them such that after a certain point, like I can't do these things unless I cheat, unless I look and see how somebody else has done it. But if somebody gives me too elaborate and exacting a blueprint, then like, I don't want to do that because I want to actually have this experience of figuring it out. Like I want somebody to explain me the sort of the basic principles Mm -hmm. because there's certain things like if I don't know that every time I split a gas vent, 50% of the stuff goes in one side and 50% goes in the other, which means that if I just run the same gas vent through, you know, six different vents in a row, then half of it is coming out the first, but only a quarter is coming out the second, you know, these basic mathematical things that like, wow, the game would not tell me that. But yet everything that I build would break if I didn't know some of these principles. So I don't know, there seems something chintzy about designing something. Maybe, you know, in the encyclopedia in the game, like there is a way to just figure all this stuff out with no help, but I'm just not patient enough to do that. Well, somebody had to, to create those tutorials, the first of those tutorials, the first of those YouTube videos. RimWorld is one of those that it took me a good year before I really even understood what I was doing. It's not the easiest thing to intuit the programming, the sort, the code behind the the buttons that you're pressing. And that's, I mean, it depends on what the developer's intent is, but resource management implies having constraints introduced to you that aren't level-based, they aren't trajectory-based, so that they're not necessarily like walls that you can't traverse, but you run into a wall when you run out of a certain resource and then it prevents you from progressing the 
the skill tree or the tech tree or whatever tree. It seems like that's one of the lasting marks that Minecraft has left on gaming in that we now seem incredibly comfortable with the idea that we're going to have to have a wiki up for anything or you shouldn't necessarily expect a game to hold your hand through what it's possible to do. It's also something, and I don't know how I feel about this, but it also feels like Let's Play videos have become a really integral part about how a game's audience begins understanding not just how a game works, but what kinds of fun are available to have with a game. So RimWorld is another really good example of this because you can play it just like straight by the numbers, try and achieve the objective that the game sets for you, which is to get off a a planet that you've crash landed on. But watching Let's Play videos with really talented content creators who are very adept at making their own fun and finding like interesting little stories to tell and interesting ways to be delighted or frustrated by the little kind of quirks of the game mechanics. I find a really useful way of treading the line between what Mark was, I think, rightly complaining about, which is people just saying, no, this is how you create a game-breaking base that'll win every time, and just being kind of lost in a directionless set of systems where you're not quite sure where the fun is supposed to be located. So like The Sims, which I've never played, is that one of these things or is that an edge case? In terms of accruing money and that being your primary resource, of course, there are other, all the different basic survival needs. I feel like The Sims is more straightforwardly a simulator. So there's one of the things that Tyler's original point brings us back to, I think, which is that most games involve managing resources of one kind or another, especially if you include things like hit points. Maybe what we should be focusing on or what we're talking about when we're talking about management games are games where part of the central mechanic that you're playing with revolves around the scarcity of resources and trying to do something, trying to acquire and do something with them. And in that sense, I think The Sims qualifies more as a straight-up simulation game, something like Truck Simulator, although you know, obviously very different and probably a lot better. But where, again, with Truck Simulator, you have money, but the point of the game isn't to accumulate money. The point is to enjoy driving trucks around. And it seems like the point of The Sims is to either stage a soap opera or torture people. Yeah, I was thinking of one of these types of is, is just God games. And I remember there's like Pocket God that I played on my phone at some point, which there's no building that I recall. It's just that it's a matter of literal worker placement or, you know, of what you're doing, even Lemmings. Like a straightforward arcade game, but it involves little guys that you're trying to make sure they use your puzzle to get them through. So there's some element, but it, you know, it completely lacks the building part of this, which I think is essential that you should be able to make a building. But like even in, so I've never played World of Warcraft. I know people, there's a lot of stuff you could do that. Is that almost all, I know most of that's just RPG, first person, you know, even, or multiplayer stuff running around. But you can also, I know, just like open a shop. Like, can you build buildings? Like, is it? There are some that are trying to do that, but typically in MMOs like that, it's such a task for the developer to give players those tools, knowing that there are a hundred thousand of players running around on the same server. That's probably a hardware or at least a technological issue that a lot of developers are trying to solve, but and uh, a real estate issue too. Like there's only so many good building places and yeah. So the thing about God games is you may not have resources like wood or money, but the little pawns that are doing your labor, you're effectively, they're your resource that you're managing mm-hmm. to yield returns, whatever capacity. And that's interesting. Yeah. You take an action in a game and has some sort of cost or trade off. 
you make that trade off and then it either allows you to continue going down that path or you have to divert because the trade off left you at a deficit of some degree. And that's, that seems to be common across a lot of games, but specifically in resource management, making that the primary problem that you have to constantly solve for the system to stay running either efficiently or for you to head toward whatever goal you're trying to head toward. I want to stop here and tell you about another pop culture show that isn't afraid to get nerdy. Check out the chart-topping podcast called The History of Literature from our friends at the Podglomerate. Each week on The History of Literature, host Jack Wilson and his guests dive deep into the history of literature, covering everything and everyone from A to Z, and by that I mean Atwood to Zhivago, of course. So, for instance, if you're into mysteries, as we've been talking about here, of course they have an episode on Agatha Christie. If you are a fan of philosophy, as many of our listeners here are, you can look at their episodes on Schopenhauer and Nietzsche, philosophical writers like Melville and Kafka, and Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Needless to say, the History of Literature is a great podcast companion to Pretty Much Pop. Follow the History of Literature on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this show. I also want to tell you about The Psychology Podcast with Scott Barry Kaufman, who's a cognitive scientist who writes and researches on intelligence, creativity, and human potential. Psychology Podcast will give you a greater understanding of yourself, others, and the world we live in. In each episode, Scott explores the depths of human potential by talking to inspiring scientists, thinkers, and other self-actualized individuals. For example, Scott has interviewed renowned psychotherapist and author Esther Perel about love and relationships. He's also interviewed biologist David Sinclair about aging and longevity, and Amanda Knox about trauma. Listen to the Psychology Podcast now, wherever you get your podcasts. And you had referred to like Civilization, which is you know a very long-running series of games. I got the most recent one. For iPad, and I, I don't know, I didn't get far enough into it to really have an opinion, but I did not find it that fun. Um, you were just referring to it, Tyler, I think it's a board game, right? That it's, it's like, kind of, yeah, it's almost like a board game simulator. <laughs> uh, it's a platform upon which you have pieces that get planted down. They have particular goals that there's a, you know, I guess a conquest imperial conceit to it. Of course, Civ has become interesting in that you can, there are all these, different win conditions that you can pursue like in I think Civ 4 and 5 Civ 5 especially you can pursue just the, the faith based victory or the war victory or the technology victory or the education victory and the, there are different ways that you can orient yourself using resources to go down certain pathways so that's interesting the 4x the exploration being that you're one block away or one hex away from another territory that you haven't explored yet, you move, like you move your piece over and then the fog of war clears and you can see what resources then you have to either obtain or what obstacles you have to run into. And games like that, the turns that you take are a resource. You have to manage your turns where you might have X amount of turns or energy to spend on the turn. Uh, and that will determine what you might do as you're, you know, so that's interesting as well as a, as a resource managing your actions and the actions that you take. But not in a stamina way. Not like you're punching a tree and running out of stamina and then you have to stop punching the tree. That's And I see there have been adaptations of Sid Meier's Civilization to an actual board game, so that, which seems a little ironic since clearly this kind of thing... I mean, I really like these games that are basically modeled... Video games that are basically modeled on risk. You know, that we've got our starting thing and we're going to build our base and build our thing and we're going to try to expand outward. And, you know, that seems like pretty fundamental to this kind of game and the appeal of it especially the conquest part of it. So if it's purely a building sandbox thing, like, well, then why am I not just building with Legos or one of those Lego video games where you have as many pieces as you want? You don't have to 
purchase the pieces, but it's just purely a creative enterprise. I can make a sculpture. Like, it seems like, I don't know, that doesn't hold my appeal in the same way, maybe because I lack the creativity. <laughs> it's medium determined too. It's almost like um, an aesthetic based medium type thing where a Lego, a bag of Legos, you'll realize a certain outcome, but then in something like Icarus or Minecraft, you have a different set of tools and resources and whatever. For me, it's always been aesthetic. Is the thing going to look awesome or badass after I'm done creating it? Something that I could not have done on my own with analog or tactile uh, resources in a, in a virtual world. I can command any number of insane things and make giant skyscrapers and things of that nature. So with respect to board games and Otherwise, video games, of course, have the added benefit of just being filled with a litany of more options, a variety of options, of optionality and player choice. Whereas, I guess, board games as well, but to a limited capacity, you can't have infinite RNG cards in your... I need only manage the resource of my uh, how fast my fan has to spin on my laptop in order to accommodate all these individual bits that are each like having giving off heat and other things that have to be calculated for every single little thing on the screen. And that's a whole nother discussion. The, 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 the whole, it's resource management all the way down. I was watching some video about Dwarf Fortress. So that's sort of the fundamental the first game behind RimWorld and things like that of, you know, talking about that if you build your base too big, then inevitably, however powerful your computer is, it will suffer a, a long-term death of just not being playable anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the actual constraints of the system itself, uh, an energy constraint that didn't even think about it that way. That's very interesting. Like Bitcoin is now energy. It's now money. It's not like they're the way that we're exchanging energy for resource to then have some sort of currency to have some sort of trade off to then move forward. It's like it's an appeal to resource management games for me. It's, it, it is it is almost uh, another version of simulating the universe or a universe with its own energy and resource constraints. Well, I don't want to get too meta about this. Of like how many of my personal hours of my life are getting put into this game versus no, no within the game world. I don't know, Jamie Al, any, any thoughts about sort of the board game aspect of these things? I think it's totally fair to say that seven games like it are just digital board games. And one of the things that makes video games cool is that they can have far more complicated systems baked into them than you can have in an analog game. And I think probably most RTS games owe their history to like tabletop, wargaming games that these games are like board games in their soul the strength of video games is they can automate so much of that stuff and put it under the board you know behind the scenes and so you can have those much more complex systems where you're not having to fiddle with cards or dice or bits of plastic or whatever which you could theoretically do in a lot of cases but never to the scalable extent that you could do it in a with a computer program even just the round has ended in the board game and now you need to put all the cards that weren't picked last time. They have to have an extra gold put on them or whatever, whatever the thing is. It's hard to remember that. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> if you had to do some math, <laughs> then no one would play that for sure. I was wondering about what each of you guys specifically get out of these kinds of games. Cause it feels like there's probably two ways to approach it. And I feel like all of you are relatively kind of normal and sane. But I know there's a huge contingent of players of these games who mainly play them to revel in chaos and destruction. So when you guys play these kinds of games, do you like to build something beautiful or do you like to watch something beautiful burn? I like to build something practical and horribly ugly at first as I'm like learning the system. So 
you know, you got your spaghetti cities where things are just kind of going all over the place and Mm -hmm. bulldozing the natural environment to make way for what I need and so forth. And then if I'm really into the game, I'll eventually go back for a new, you know, a restart or redo what I've got and try to make it elegant and efficient and systematic and, and beautiful. The ones I've played most, like, you know, so I played a lot of Don't Starve before this. So there's a very survival oriented. So there's not even a question of really building that extensively. Like you build just enough so you can do the next thing or Subnautica is another one that I was playing, which you have to build enough of your base so that you can just put enough storage chests in it. So you can put all the stuff in there that you need to. Then you build your giant sub and you build a bunch of storage on top of that and you use that so you can actually get all the crap that you need to build auxiliary bases and, and drag it somewhere. There's not even a question. I can't like think of a, a game like this that I've actually played where there's been a big enough thing that then it can be destroyed in an entertaining way. Like <laughs> that's more, you know, the Starcraft, like I want to burn other people's bases, but not what, what are you thinking of Al in particular with that? I'm just remembering the first time I played Subnausica and I built my first giant submarine and I got it stuck in a cabin system somewhere. So I just had to leave it like a mattress in a landfill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It kind of does split depending on the the style. If it's a top-down, godlike city builder style thing, oftentimes I get too big for my britches immediately. I'm like, I'm going to build a sprawling metropolis that's woven together with perfectly placed parks and great whatever. And then as soon as I begin that plan ends usually. And then on the other, on the flip side, if I'm playing something like Minecraft or Icarus, like I'm going to go mine all this iron and all this whatever to build something bombastic and insane and not necessarily watch it burn down. What's cool about Icarus and City Skylines is you can trigger disaster kind of at will. You can just send the tornado clusters into your metropolis if you want to. It has almost like a mandala. You can wipe it away if you want. I know that was right back to SimCity, what was seemed fun about that, if it was just a balance your economy and how many things, like, it wouldn't have been that interesting, but the fact that you can then turn on Godzilla comes in and stamps on the city, like, yes, that is definitely, <laughs> you know, I want tornadoes going through my city, but I never spent more than two hours on that game at a time, probably. I don't, I don't remember at this point, it was so long ago, but the oxygen not included bases that I've now put in... <laughs> so much time on on some of these things that like no i don't want something to to lava to come in and wipe the whole thing out which i know is supposed to be the fun of something like dwarven fortress that like it's so hard that you are putting a lot of time into it and it is like rimworld but more opaque in terms of figuring out what to do and what the controls are and but the fact that there are so many ways that things can go wrong and it's not merely that like well you just haven't designed your plumbing very well and so eventually it's going to, the toilets are going to stop working and you're going to have to be like, oh, again, the toilets are not working. What am I supposed <laughs> you know, to me, that's where oxygen not included got not so fun. Like the, the fourth time that I had to go and troubleshoot the same goddamn system. It's not like building a castle and then you built a castle. It's like dealing with the fact that, oh, there's erosion of the natural habitat and the cold environment is now getting all melted or what, you know, whatever that then just makes you start over, I guess. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'll turn off options like that, like natural disasters or enemy aggression and stuff like that, just because I want to build my thing or I just want to like, unless it's like the point of the game, like don't starve or even like Valheim, the combat's good enough that you want to occasionally defend your base from 
trolls, rampaging trolls or something. But especially in other types of base building games, I'm like, no, I like my base. I built my base. Don't like send a tornado through there. What do you think? What are you doing? For me, it's the comfort that I feel when I return back to my base. It's like there's a sense of returning home that I constantly... And then when I start a new world and I build a new home and then I return to that home, it's, it's a, almost this insane loop of satisfaction of, of this is something that I built. It's sustaining me and I can go back there and then I can do a new one and I can start it fresh and I can do it again. It's like this infinite loop of it's probably a, a sickness that I need to resolve other than. a Yeah, I was feeling that in Don't Starve, even though you can't even build a freaking shelter in that game, like you can build you can build a wall. But if you make your wall too big, then like enemies will spawn within your wall because as long as they're off the screen that you can see, everything is so terrifying in the general world that like, oh, I'm now I'm back in my base and can sit by my fire a little bit. Like that's what makes Icarus really great. There are predators, but there's also there are storms that are that's kind of the main mechanic. The storms get so bad that if you get caught 10 minutes outside of your base and you don't have the abilities and the resources, then the storm will kill you. So rushing back, being chased by wolves getting in, slamming the door behind, you know, behind you just in time for then it to be struck by lightning and have it burned down. <laughs> I do enjoy that as well. So the survival aspect of it, not just being, hey, I built something cool, but having to do the kind of strategic work to gain, gather the resources, skill yourself up, become good enough to then clear the cave out to get the the new ore or iron and then advance like that. I enjoy that as but well. Was Icarus the one that you mentioned during the roguelike as well? There was one that was like one of these things but also roguelike, not the one that the new one Jamie just brought up, but that every run you have to rebuild all this crap from, you know, from scratch. And which seems like a lot of work that you don't get the satisfaction of. I've, I've got the nice castle I can return to because it's going to be ground down every single, what, every half hour play or what, however this works. So with that game in particular, you can kind of do whatever you prefer. There are certain missions have time limits. Um, so you have X amount of time to go in. You start with nothing, although your character progression stays the same. So what the tech that you've learned and the crafting recipes that you've obtained, they carry. You might have five uh, real life hours to go to this point, extract some resources and then get the hell off the planet. Or you can do an open world persistent thing and just be in the world forever. So, but that's what's cool about that game. You do have those two different ways to play. It's a creative mode, survival mode. I know somebody on our, our list was wondering about multiplayer, that everything we've been talking about here, it sounds like it's playing by yourself in a sandbox. And so, you know, at least I've seen when my kids would do Minecraft, they would absolutely for sure get on Discord or whatever, whatever speech thing. So you could play in a sandbox with other people and you're maybe you're still mostly doing your own thing, but at least you can talk stuff through. It seems fundamentally different to me than like we're going to do a real time shooter, you know, a, a first person shooter collaboratively or a Diablo kind of we're going to run around and kill bad guys collaboratively. That kind of thing I understand. I've never really done one of these things. I haven't played Don't Starve Together or these collaborative Minecraft servers or any of this stuff. Is this complete it or is this in some way just like antithetical kind of just like as if you were in the room talking to somebody over their shoulder to tell them? For me, it makes it inherently better to have someone to do it with. Yeah, I put that note on there because I actually don't like it as much. So I have like a Tuesday night group of guys that I play games with. We get together every Tuesday night and play. And we've played a few of these games. We played Valheim, Satisfactory, and RimWorld multiplayer. And generally what we'll do is we'll have like a persistent server 
for the game. So it's like running as long as maybe it's like one person is connected to it, you know, the game will run and we'll get in there together and we'll have a good time. We're building our base and so forth. But then inevitably what happens is that somebody with more time than everybody else is into it enough that they get in there and they start doing a bunch of stuff on their own. And then I log in like next Tuesday and I'm like, what happened? (laughs) Like, this is totally different. Somebody tore down all my stuff. They built out this whole base and now we're three levels higher up on the tech tree than we were before. And suddenly it doesn't feel like I'm participating because I'm so far behind the curve and I don't even know what these new structures do or any of this sort of stuff. And and everything is so different and I have to learn where everything is every time I log on. So I think like if you could keep it to we only play together and we only do stuff together, that's great. But my experience has been that people don't have that level of restraint, especially if they're having a good time. Um, so they'll get in there and do stuff. But I did used to have like a shared Minecraft world with my kids, and it was a lot of fun because we'd like leave notes for each other, and and we'd work collaboratively on something like, oh, we're going to build a bridge across this chasm. And I'd go and work on it for a while, and you know, my daughter would come and work on it for a while. and It was neat in that way. But that is much more of like a sandbox kind of thing as opposed to having specific goals of like develop this thing, build this thing, progress to this era and so forth where you're getting left behind. That is a distinction that's worth noting the goal oriented or just straight sandbox. We already mentioned a bunch of times, but like Kate and I, my girlfriend and I will, uh, we play No Man's Sky together. And what's cool is that there is a clear trajectory, but she just goes off, finds her, her own other planets builds on those planets and then I can bounce around between her bases. She can bounce around between mine. It's not necessary that we both operate on the same linear path. I think we need some space. Yeah, exactly. Literally. You go, you go find another planet to mess with. You need some more few parsecs worth. Need some more tritium for your pulse drive to get the hell off my planet here. (laughs) Let me go, let me go mine that for you. Should we go around and sort of do another uh, recommendation or set of recommendations? Or are there any like fundamental like aspects of this that we haven't really hit yet that you want to talk about? Obviously, there's so many games that we could just <laughs> describe to each other. One other kind of aspect of these types of games that we've, we hinted at a little bit earlier, but might be worth going around the horn on, is these tend to be very big chunks of time games for me. Like I can go on and I can play a round of Overwatch in 15 minutes, you know, or do like just 30 minutes of this game. But for these types of survival, base building, resource management games, like I'm looking at hours usually that I'll want to spend at a stretch just because it doesn't feel good to like quit in the middle of something that I'm doing and they're just time consuming naturally. So that's a trade-off, but it actually can work out in my favor because like last weekend I was like sick. I was running like a slight fever and had like a chest thing and it's kind of in one of those states where like you didn't have the mental resources to do anything too demanding. So I was like, okay, I'm going to play one of these like base building games. So I bought Factorio and I was like, I just want to fall into this until it's time for the next sleep because only like the passage of time is going to make me feel better. And it worked. I was like, holy crap, six hours just went by. It's now it's time to go to bed. Maybe I'll feel better when I wake up. So make it work for you, I guess is my point. I feel like I play most games more intensely. That was what was nice about the short roguelikes that we did is that those were actually some games that I didn't have to, I could get a flavor of and just get in there a little bit. But like just getting this time into, you know, I put a few hours into RimWorld, but like I'd been playing a lot of Oxygen Not Included and it's like, what, I got to learn different stuff? 
where I played the demo for Factorio, one of the few ones that you can actually just try out and not have to pay the $30. These are often pretty expensive games because a lot of development time has gone into them. And I really was like, I don't want to learn this separate tree of crafting for Factorio. I've already been doing that for another game. So that's, you know, it's just a different version of the, wow, I've been playing a lot of this RPG or whatever, and I don't want to like learn slightly different controls. Like I would like everybody to just decide that the lower of the four buttons on the PS is for crouch and the top one is for jump and don't switch those around because I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to be, it's going to be completely unnatural then when I play the next game. And so I, you know, feel the same way about, but it's with knowledge that I've already mm. learned all this useless trivia for one game of the crafting recipes and what I have to learn for another game. Like, so I, I feel like maybe be really careful on which one of these you pick because it's going to be a relationship. You're going to put major time into it. Then let some time pass before you take on the next one. That's at least what I've, these little f- spurts and forays, I have not actually found that gratifying. No, I've got loads of these games in my Steam library and they are all at either six hours playtime or like a thousand plus. In terms of Jamie's question, I think some games are like the roguelikes, like Mark was saying, get in, get out. And some games have this persistent project quality where it's like a, it's something that you're building quite literally over the course of a lot of time to achieve a, an outcome. And I, I, I like games like this for similar reasons that you like the, the roguelikes is that I can just hop in, farm a bunch of trees, get certain processes going and then hop out. And then when I come back, the project resumes and I just continue um, along this creative path. There are some resource management games uh, like Stacklands. It's literally, I forgot to put this on the list. It's literally just a card game, roguelike resource management style game where you can have 20 minute sessions, but it has a, the resource management element. So sure. I, I was looking at a new one that came out just called Backpack Hero. That sounds like entirely like resource management. But in just looking at YouTube stuff about it, no, it's actually more like a card game. It's just that it's sort of whatever's at the top of your backpack, the way you've arranged it is the thing that you can use. Like that didn't seem to have what we were going for with this, even though it literally has is all about managing resources in a Tetris like way is how it was described. Like how do the items physically fit into your backpack? Yeah. Comparing games like Minecraft and Diablo seems counterintuitive, but the inventory management style of it where you obtain items and you have to fit them in your so building whole storage rooms and then making sure each chest like in Minecraft is labeled and everything is organized and you know where the stone blocks are and the brick blocks are and the coal and the iron and the cotton and the whatever. Uh, Love it. That's its own style of puzzle solving. Inventory management as a puzzle solving simulator puzzle game. I will spend hours doing that kind of stuff of like creating buses or storage areas and labeling everything and let's put the most Frequently used items on this side because they're easier to access. And, and yeah. I guess we were not including in this category things like Stardew Valley, even though you can build your own farm and you can plant your trees and you can, but there seems to be something fundamentally different about that. I'm not sure what it is exactly. Maybe just because there are enough other elements. I guess that's a thing we haven't completely hit on is a lot of these games, it's a hybrid. It's got some management stuff, but then some other things. So another one that I played quite heavily coming into this was Cult of the Lamb. And that has, you have your buildings and you assign workers to your buildings and you have to keep all your workers happy in certain ways. But then that's just a distraction from the going out into the dungeon and fighting things and gathering resources that way, such that it's, if you take one seriously, you're neglecting the other one. That's part of the challenge is that you are actually managing your time 
in that way. Cause it's, it, it's kind of a boring game if you just stay home and just, you know, are performing rituals for your people all the time and making sure they have good food. And that's all you're doing. And, and you can't even do that, that you have to go out and gather bones from your treks out into the world. Like Stardew, it's resource management, kind of, but it's more like a merchant simulator RPG. You acquire the resources to sell from your own farm. It's self-generative. Um, so you do manage it in those terms. But again, we start getting really wishy-washy about the definitions of the terms that we're using. As always, it becomes difficult to yeah. pin down. But yeah. I mean, like we've said all the, all the way through, like these management, resource management elements are a really key part of a lot of games. And I guess what we call resource management games with capital letters, if you like, depends on how central they are to the gameplay or whether handling that is kind of the main point of what you're doing. And that's like draped in a city builder skin or a colony manager skin or a prison building skin or skin or whatever else it may be. Like Stardew Valley, I love. And it satisfies a lot of the same itches as all of these other games because it's about creating something that functions perfectly. But there's so much more going on in that game. It is more about a... For me, the satisfaction of Stardew Valley was more in the simulation vein. It was about trying to create which I think the the designer was very explicitly going for, trying to create a kind of rural idyll that none of us get to experience anymore. If the win condition or the lose condition are contingent upon your success or non-success of managing the resource or the, the set of resources, then you could narrow it down that way. But if you mismanage your resources, you lose. That kind of thing. The scarcity likewise. So even Dead Space, a shooter, but there are so few goddamn bullets in that game that like that's the resource that you're managing and it actually is a significant thing and i found that that sort of made that in my playthrough made that unique among first person shooter type things whereas other people that would just completely annoy and i think in Stardew Valley if money was really scarce if it was really hard to make money and and mm-hmm. build anything then yeah it would completely fall into these sort of survival crafting things that we're talking about it's just that it's pretty easy to get a farm going and you know, then you just concentrate on your interactions with the people around town and giving them gifts and all this stuff that's not relevant to that. Let's do a sort of last go around. We can still maybe in the after talk, anybody that wants to sit around, get a little more detail into some of our subnautica stories or whatever we want to do there. But is there a recommendation or, you know, some game that you uh, had hoped we would talk about that you want to describe for us? Briefly, we haven't mentioned a couple of, I think, are probably the, the kings of the genre right now, both from Paradox Interactive, who are probably the overlords of overcomplicated dad games, is basically my name for this whole genre. I think that I'm not a dad myself, but I never feel more like a dad than when I'm playing, say, Crusader Kings or Stellaris, both of which I think deserve huge props for being fantastically complicated, engrossing, replayable story generators. I mean, this is, so this is another thing, something that I, I don't think we touched on enough is one of the beautiful things about this kind of game where what the developers give you are a few kind of vague goals and a huge amount of complicated systems. They seem to be incredibly good at developing stories for the player, unique stories every time you engage with them. RimWorld is explicitly a story generator, but I think uh, Crusader Kings and Stellaris both do a similar kind of thing really well yeah the grand strategy genre mm-hmm. interestingly obviously applies and i love the idea is the paradox game is being games is being story generators because you basically create alternative histories 
which is cool. You can say, I mean, what would it be like if the Norman invasion were unsuccessful or something or, or more success or, you know, or something else happened that threw a wrench in the, the timeline and the, the story kind of plays itself out. But like any of these games, whether it be the first person perspective, like an Icarus, I know I keep coming back to that. It's just, I love it so much. The story is I landed on the planet. It was immediately thunderstorming. I had to run. I had to build a base. I got attacked by a bear. I died. I respawned. I went, got my stuff. The bear killed me again. I went and got my stuff. Finally got a, a spear, killed the bear. And that kind of thing plays itself out uniquely each time you step into the world. Genres are dead. It's all about mechanics from my perspective. And you see these mechanics show up in all different kinds of games. And it seems to make less and less sense to talk about genres uh, as time goes by. Those things just kind of borrow from each other and blend. Right. I think we could have a whole future discussion of real-time strategy games that we you know, didn't touch on the various StarCraft, Descendants, Age of Empires kind of stuff. Um, I haven't played a lot of those recently, though I did pick up the first one when we started thinking about this was, was Northgard that Al mentioned. And I don't know if it's a particularly famous game, but I felt like it was very nicely designed in terms of one of these simple get going and I got to build my lumber yard as fast as possible. And I got to build my, you know, scout surrounding areas and expand my, you know, like I was describing risk, except electronic and interactive. And so that, that is definitely a recommendation. I have an idealized picture of an early uh, game that I played on, if it was pre windows or whatever, but of dungeon keeper, that there's something wonderful about that. I know there's been some dungeons three years. There've been some modern attempts at that, but I haven't, You'll never recapture the magic. Yes. Just to describe if people haven't, but it's like the heroes are going to invade your dungeon. And so you need to just create different rooms with different monsters in them. And you need to feed the monsters chickens and set up traps and things, you know, and then just so, so it's sort of a tower defense thing ultimately because it's. There are those evil genius games too that were along those lines. There's one that came out fairly recently within the last few years, but I never heard anything about it after it came out. All right, I will link, I don't know, Tyler, if I will dump your entire list from, <laughs> I just watched about uh, 15 demos in a row based on things you've recommended, and we brought up none of them. Many of them looked very similar, like Rim, Rimworld, you know, in medieval times, or Rimworld in this other time. But yeah, very fun. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the three of you for coming back. Thanks, guys. Thanks, nice guys. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.